Earthquakes are amazing phenomena that can in minutes completely change our perception of reality. What we had counted on, trusted in, taken for granted as solid or even permanent, unshakable, is suddenly shaken apart and often never the same again. Life brings earthquake-like experiences for all of us, whether we want them or not. We cannot control that. But to some degree, what we can and must control is our reaction to them. Sometimes everything we thought we knew about God, about Jesus, and even about what's important or impressive in life gets shaken. Might there be some hidden value, some hidden treasure to be gained from these oh-so-uncomfortable experiences? The answer is yes. Looked at that early picture, and I looked a little bit like a used car salesman. <laughs> I was doing the best I could, and that's all I knew. Um, I look forward to doing this series, and I want to be careful as I start it. Okay? It's called Earthquake Shakings. And we're actually going to look at different portions of Scripture where actual earthquakes are occurring in Scripture, but they're connected to really interesting events. This is really kind of connected to a series of messages that I did some months back, and it was called What's Going On? It was a series of messages that it stayed right in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, six messages. In that series of messages, I said this. I said that humanity, as we understand it, has reached a tipping point. I was very careful to say in this series, uh, we are not in the start of the tribulation. Some of you know what that means, some of you don't. But we have reached a tipping point where society is going to progressively take on a characteristic that is anti-God and evil and we just need to have realistic expectations about that it was not meant to be pessimistic it was meant to be realistic it was meant to be preparatory and helpful now this series is connected when you have reached the tipping point um, where evil is starting to you know become prominent dominant uh, things that once were called good and everyone knew to be good are now being called evil and vice versa you inevitably are starting into the period of shaking now Jesus had a lot to say about this now he was talking about that period of time just before he comes I am not saying that we are in the start of that I'm not saying we're not but I'm not saying we are and he compared it to a, a lady in labor and he said that the tension, the pressure, the, the word tribulation, it's Greek word thalipsis, that it will just increase just as do labor pains when a lady is getting close to birth. So again, we're not talking about that period of time yet, but we are talking about a period of time where you can see it. It's happening. We need to be aware because this is going to test all of us in some way where everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken. Let me read you a verse that kind of is the... the source of this series Hebrews chapter 12 verse 26 it says at that time his voice shook the earth but now he has promised once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens keep that in mind the degree that this shaking is going to go on let me go on the words once more indicate removing the removing of what can be shaking shaken that is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain therefore since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. So we're going in this period where everything that we once thought we could depend on, believe in, that we understood about ourselves, about life, I'm going to go further, about God, about uh, space, about who we are, where we came from, why we're here, what the meaning of life is. We are going into a period where everything is going to be shaken. Now, I'm going to give you just one example of something that we know we're encountering today that shows a, a belief that human beings have held as obvious and simplistically true throughout human history is all of a sudden being shaken, and people are seriously considering this matter in a completely different light. I'm just going to give you one example, if I can go to that. Here's this lady. Her name is Jackie Golub. Uh, she works at the Center for Sexual Wellness. This is her quote. Gender is how you feel about yourself, while sexuality is how you feel about others. Let me interpret. My gender is not what it appears to be, according to her, that I'm a male. 
uh, born a male, you know, X, Y. Um, she is saying, but it's how I feel. If I feel like I'm not a male, according to her, I'm not a male. I get to choose my gender. But then when she says the second part, my sexuality is how you feel about others. So that means that I'm a male. I may be attracted to another male. I may be attracted to a female. I may be attracted to a telephone pole or whatever it is. So <laughs> now here's what I'm trying to get across to you. Check it out. Check out human history. We have never questioned our gender until very, very recently. The, the most fundamental things about our identity as human beings is being shaken. This is just one example. We're going to go through a period, folks, listen carefully, where every single religion in existence on the planet, I don't care if it's Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Islam, Christianity, Every religion, every religious belief that human beings have ever held, it is going to be shaken. Jesus said that the world's going to encounter a time of deception so great, so great, that it comes very close to even shaking or deceiving his real followers. Institutions that we counted on that we thought were stable and would never change, never, they're going to be shaken. The way we do things you know, routines that we just assume are going to continue, they're going to be shaken. Money, monetary system, economics, it's going to be shaken. Nations that have been, you know, some cases for over a thousand years, they're going to be shaken. The very physiology of the planet, Jesus says, the book of Isaiah says it's going to be shaken. Isaiah 13 and 24, it says, I'm not trying to be, to be scary or anything here, but I'm just going to be honest with you. It says that the planet is going to be shaken out of its orbit at some point. Jesus talked about phenomenon, astronomical phenomenon that will be so shocking that it will shake people to the point that some people's hearts will fail. He talks about tsunamis and a lot of physio physiological things. The scripture, and you're going to hear it in this series too, the scripture talks about literal earthquakes. And so this shaking, it's, it's going to be sociological, it's going to be psychological, it's going to be spiritual, it's going to be monetary, it, it's going to be physical and seismological and geological so i'm not saying that it's going to happen tomorrow i am saying it is occurring it is starting and remember jesus analogy like labor pains they they start mild and then they not that i've ever had a baby or anything but i know what they say about this and then they increase with pain and the pains are you know closer and closer together the intensity increases so not gloom and doom not pessimism because here's the truth what this era of shaking is going to provide for some, okay, it's going to, i got to be honest with you, it's going to be a period of sifting. There's going to be a lot of folks that had identified as Christians, and they are going to walk away from Christ completely. But there are others that this is going to be a time of, of great clarity. They're going to see the truth about God and the truth about life in, in its importance. They're, they're going to see it with clarity. They're going to see how vital it is. And with that clarity is going to come something that I call authentic convictions. Authentic convictions are very different than passed on beliefs. I'm not saying the passed on beliefs are bad. For example, let's just say I had a great big jar full of, full of beans, you know, up here. And, and I tell you, I counted the jar three times and it has 1,500 beans in it. If I tell you that, you figure, well, Randy has no reason to lie to me about this. So that, that's probably too true. So it would be a passed on belief that you would take. But that's not a conviction. For it to become an authentic conviction for you, you would have to dump the beans out, count them yourself three times, just like I did, and then if you concluded there's 1,500 in there, now you have an authentic conviction. You, you've, you've tried this. You've tested it. You've experienced it. This time of shaking is going to give clarity to some, and with clarity are going to come authentic convictions. We're going to know what we know, why we know it. And with authentic convictions comes courage, tremendous confidence in God, unshakable confidence in God. And with that courage is going to come the last thing, commitment. We are going to see in this era of shaking, we're going to see, we're going to see people rise up and show courageous commitment to Christ, to a people, to that which is good that we've never seen before in human history. It's going to be a time where some will shine like, like stars, the book of Daniel talks about. And others, as I said, unfortunately, will be shaken 
completely away from their identity as Christ followers. Now, it's going to happen all over the world, though. I mean, people, people's fundamental beliefs, even about what it means to be a human being, it's going to be shaken. And so we're entering into this time. So we're going to look at a portion of Scripture now where the Israelites... There are three months out of Egypt. You know, they were in slavery there for a long time, and God sends Moses, brings them out. He's taking them to the promised land, the land where they're going to have the best life possible. We all want the best life possible. We all pursue the best life possible. So they get three months out, and they're at the foot of Mount Sinai, and now God is going to give them what we call the Ten Commandments. Now, that's just the beginning. He's ultimately going to give them 613 commandments, but he's going to start by giving them Ten Commandments. So imagine that you are in a room of people. We, we just get a random room of people, 20 people. You're one of them in the room, 19 others that you don't know. And they're all asked the same question. What, what is God really like? So one by one, each person is going to speak, and they're going to say, well, here's what God is really like. And one says this, and one says that, and one says another, and, and you're sitting there, man, you're just waiting for your turn because you, know, you, you would be, right? You'd be, you'd, be, you'd be eager to tell them what God is really like because you know the Word of God. You know God's revealed Himself in Christ, but I'm getting ahead of myself in the message. Anyway, all 20 say things, and I think we all know we'd hear all kinds of things. It, we, we would hear things that are a result of what people heard as they were growing up, what, what they heard from other folks that they thought was interesting, their culture. We would hear a lot of views of God that they made up with their own imaginations and their own emotional desires. How many of you can be honest for a minute? You can remember back in your own life before you became a follower of Christ, and you may not be a follower of Christ yet, and that's cool. This is the best place to be in if you're not, because we'll help you get a glimpse of the heart of God so that you might actually put your trust in him but how many of you can remember a time in your life where you yourself would say yeah i believe in god but then you had concocted with your imagination and your desires an image of god that doesn't line up with scripture or the revelation we have in christ at all how, how many can identify with that i i certainly could uh, i i won't tell many stories but but i'll just let it go but okay so we can identify with that so the question, what is God really like? You're going to see that it's connected vitally to a number of things because that's the thing that we don't really feel today um, in general, that it really matters. I mean, if you were to ask the same 20 people after they gave you their opinion of what God is like, if you said, does it matter? Does it matter that your opinion is different than your opinion? They would probably, for the most part, say, no, it doesn't matter. It's your thing. If you think God's a can of tomatoes, that, that's your deal, man. As long as it makes you feel good, it's okay. One choice about God is as good as another is the way it's generally presented to us in society. But what if that's not true? And everything in us, these, these observational skills that God, the real creator, has given us, and these rationalizing skills that God, the real creator, has given us, it tells us that can't be true. There has to be a first cause, and the first cause has to be immortal, eternal, original, the cause of everything and everyone else. Dead matter doesn't produce living beings, complex beings. We, we know all these things by observation and rationalization. And so we can even go further. We, we can put together a very accurate image of God having never even looked into a Bible. But nevertheless, the attitude of the masses is that, hey, man, you know, it's whatever floats your boat. It doesn't really matter. Uh, your idea about God is as good as anybody else's. That's only true if there isn't a real God. But everything that's into our brains, wired in our brains, tells us we, we know that there is. All right, so Israel... They're going to sit at the foot of Mount Sinai and they're going to have this question start to be answered for them and for us. And I hope they saw why it was important, but it's more important to me this morning that you, you're going to see uh, why it's so important. Again, it connects to so many things. It connects to how you and I develop or don't develop. It connects to what kind of people we become. It connects to what kind of interior life we experience. Do we experience the best possible life in this world in spite of circumstances? Or are we the victim of every whim and every circumstance and, and everything that comes down the pike? All of that is connected together with this. So let me take you now to the text. And we start in Exodus 19. By the way, if you want to read, you know, this is where the Ten Commandments, Exodus 19 and 20. Um, Moses went up to God 
And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings. Remember, there were the ten plagues that God sent on the Egyptians. Those plagues, by the way, were individually targeted at Egyptian gods to show the Israelites that the gods of Egypt should not be respected or feared, that there's only one true God. Anyway, he says, You saw how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, here we have a kind of a, a contingency. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession although the whole earth is mine why would he say that he's saying if you'll fully in essence trust me and obey me you'll manifest who i am to the rest of the world you'll be a treasured possession you'll be a witness uh, possession nation you'll, you'll be a nation that speaks the truth about god and about life to the whole world is what he was saying he goes on you'll be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation these are the words you are to speak to the israelites moses does it says the people all responded together we will do everything the lord has said so moses brought their answer back to the lord the lord said to moses i'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust where in you mind you this was going to be a really traumatic scene god's going to come in a shocking power manner uh, you know exposing a lot of there's going to be this dense thick cloud there's going to be fire there's going to be smoke like a furnace and ultimately the earthquake shaking the the whole mountain is going to be shaking and quaking this is going to be something the israelites are never going to forget he wants this to stick in their minds but notice the purpose was so that the people would put their trust in moses Moses was going to be the one that God was going to reveal himself to and then as Moses explained the truth that God gave them he would reveal himself through Moses to others God was making this power display not to so much influence the people toward himself but to influence them toward Moses you might be saying you know why 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 would God feel the need to to shake things so badly to, to scare people in essence i mean it, it was something that would scare you'll see as this this thing envelop or, or opens up a little bit more what all went on the phenomenon there was loud trumpet there was all kinds of things how many of you can remember this will tell a lot about your age how many of you can remember what you were doing when john kennedy was assassinated let's see your hands so see i know something about your age how many of you remember what you were doing when the challenger tragedy occurred I know something about your age. <laughs> How many of you remember 9-11? See, almost every hand. You're young bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we remember so crystal clear the, these events, where we were, what we were doing, who we were with, the, these events that are connected to trauma? I'm going to theorize with you on this. I, I believe that because we were made in the image of God, by Christ, for Christ, and we were meant to experience life the way God does, minus evil, that evil is such a foreign substance to our soul that, that it jars us and it grabs our memories and it does not let go. Anything that traumatizes us, shakes us, tends to stick in our memory, Okay. I believe this power display was not to scare the Israelites. Uh, I, I so often hear Christians talk about the fear of God as the beginning of wisdom, and they interpret that wrongly. It makes me cringe. They think that what that means is that God wants us to be scared of him, and that unless you're scared of God, that's the beginning of wisdom. No, what that word is talking about, the fear of God, it is reverence, it is awe, it is singular respect for God above everybody else. That's the beginning of wisdom, but God does know the way we're wired that anything that kind of traumatizes us sticks in our memories okay so you remember those three events or at least some of you do but would you agree that you've had hundreds maybe thousands of happy wonderful events that you you can't quite remember so completely as you remember kennedy's death the challenger or 9-11 but you've had hundreds, maybe thousands of pleasant events. How many would agree with that? But, but you, you kind of vaguely know they happened, but you don't remember them succinctly. You don't remember who was with you and what was going on because we were meant to experience a life 
where nothing, nothing but good exists and we experience nothing but good all the time and we are traumatized by evil, albeit God uses that now to stick things in our memory. So connect that idea when this thing opens up. So here we go. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you, you being Moses. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Now the scene starts. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp did what? Tremble. This got their attention. This was traumatic. It goes on. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in a fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. This looked like a volcanic. Have you ever seen volcanoes when they erupt? The, the terrible plume of smoke, the black smoke that comes up. And the whole mountain, what does it say? Trembled, earthquake shakings. Trembled violently. Picture the scene. The whole ground is shaking. The mountain is shaking violently. This trumpet, ear splitting probably, is going, you know, blasting. This smoke is billowing up. They're never going to forget this. Never. They may forget a lot of things, but they won't forget this. Now, what is coming, remember, is the Ten Commandments. And, and so God wants this to stick. And so he utilizes this uh, mechanism that he knows will cause something to stick in our memory. All right, now, to turn a corner for, for us, what does God want us to learn from this? He wants us to let go of distorted, shakable images of God. The, the best life possible for me or you is dependent upon you and I having an accurate image of God. But we all have inaccurate images of God that we collect along life's pathway. Think of these Israelites. They had lived as slaves in Egypt for nearly a 400-year period. The only images they had in their mind of God came mostly from the images of the false gods of the Egyptians. They knew a little bit about the God, you know, that called out Abraham and, you know, stuck with Jacob and Isaac and, and ultimately Joseph and so forth, but, but they had fragments. They didn't really know. They knew that God had power because he delivered them from Egypt through the plagues, but they didn't know about his character. Just because somebody's got power doesn't mean they're good, doesn't mean they're trustworthy. They had very little accurate knowledge about God. They probably pictured God the way the Egyptians pictured their gods as well as the fragments they had from the past. And so it is with almost every human being. We, we, we start at life having this notion of God, this vague picture of God. We maybe uh, inherited some beliefs from our family, our friends, our culture, some experiences we had. And then we go into the God-making business ourselves. We, we start to use our imagination and our desires, like I mentioned earlier, and we create inaccurate images of God because they make us feel comfortable and safe. But as long as we hold on to distorted, shakable images of God, we don't develop. Let me go further. It is impossible to develop as a human being, to grow, to become who we were meant to become, to do what we were meant to do if we hold on to distorted images of God. So they need to be shaken. They were, for the first time, the Israelites, they were going to learn who God really was personally. The Ten Commandments spoke volumes about who God was as a person, what mattered to him, what didn't matter, what he cared about, what his values were. Now, before it was over, how many of you know in the Old Testament God gave them not Ten Commandments, not a hundred commandments, not three hundred commandments? But how many of you know he gave them 613 commandments? How, how many didn't know that? Can I see your hands? Yeah, 613. Why? What, what is that about? Because the way that human beings were meant to develop, I, you, we, we were meant to develop as we stay affiliated with God in a trusting relationship, and he influences us. He continues to gradually teach us until every single part of our life has been influenced by him. In other words, we, we are gradually learning to live the way he designed us to live. And this brings best life possible. So the 613 commandments were to, to bring the Israelites ultimately into this relationship where every aspect of their life was being influenced by God. So it starts with the 10 commandments. Now they start to see God for who he really is. 
Now, I want to show you with another verse the impact of, of not having a clear picture of God. I'm going to show you what our tendency is first. We become, as I said earlier, God makers. It says, for although they knew God, this is talking about humanity in general, although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. Notice, we knew, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. It goes on. Two times he used the word exchanged here, and they exchanged the glory of God. The glory of God is just the beauty of his character, that even though he's the almighty God, his almighty uh, power is restrained by his sacrificial love, and that's what makes him glorious, beautiful, wonderful, the safest person in the universe. They exchanged the glory of God for the, for the immortal God, for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. They exchanged, there it is the second time, the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So we all have a propensity to be God makers, to, to make God in images that we think feel good to us, but they're ultimately destructive to us. Listen to this passage of scripture from Jeremiah chapter 2 now the now, book of Jeremiah takes place where the Israelites had been in rebellion against God for a long time he warns them warns them warns them and he finally says look I'm going to let the Babylonians come take you away for 70 years until you learn to trust me and represent me appropriately that's what's going on in the book of Jeremiah he, he serves the Israelites for 42 years and they never listen to him 42 years nobody paid attention anyway this is what the Lord says what fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me they followed, what does it say? Worthless idols, keep tracking with this now, and became what? Worthless themselves. They followed worthless idols. In other words, they, they had a distorted image of God and they worshiped it. They followed it, but it caused them to be impacted negatively. They were changed by what they were following, by what they were worshiping, and they themselves became worthless. You say, Randy, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like God. God doesn't look at anybody as being worthless. A human being is never going to be worthless. They're made in the image of God. They're made by Christ, for Christ. Christ died for everybody. So how can a human being ever become worthless? You know some worthless people. Come on. <laughs> you do. <laughs> and so do I. Let me explain. Intrinsically, no human being is worthless. As I said, created by Christ, created for Christ, made in the image of God. Christ loves every human being so much he died for every human being. However, I can, you can, we can so completely misuse the gifts and abilities and opportunities that God gives to us as human beings and the capacity as human beings. We can so misuse it. We can so abuse it. We can so waste it. We can so neglect it that instead of giving worth to society that God gave us the ability to give, we become worthless. It's not talking about the intrinsic worth of a human being, but it's talking about my impact on society. I, I have a negative impact instead of a positive impact. But the thing that I really want you to learn is this. Whatever image we have in our minds about God, whatever image in our mind about God that we possess it ends up possessing us. No matter what it is, it may be completely an idol, something concocted, something from culture, something from family, ancestry, something not accurate at all. But once it's in our heads, knowingly or unknowingly, it possesses us, and it will shape us and mold us. They worshiped worthless idols and became worthless. Now, when I was a young Christian, I, became, I became a follower of Christ at age 23, and by age 25, I was in this church called Bethel Bible Church. And my pastor there was this guy named uh, Franklin Durham. And I drove him nuts. I'm telling you, I, he was probably so glad when I finally moved away. Because <laughs> I would question him and question him and question him. And Franklin Durham had a habit of, uh, when he would give his messages, they were pretty much like reading a commentary. He would just say, this is what the verse says, this is what the verse means. And I would go to him and I'd say, Pastor Durham, come on, man. How, what does that mean? How are we supposed to do that? How does that work out in life? I don't understand. Show me how this is supposed to work. It would drive me nuts. And his answer to me was always saying, Randy, I rely on the Holy Spirit to explain that to you. 
And I'd be like, ah, I don't buy that for one second. God wants us to understand. He lit a fire in me that continues to burn to this day. If I fail to enable you to understand the truth about God in life, it is not because I haven't made every effort in me because I have devoted my entire life to unpacking these things so that people can see how it works. I want to show you why when you knowingly or unknowingly worship a false image of God, we become like that false image. Here's the way this thing works. The foundations of authentic worship. Whatever we worship, we start to become like. All right? And here's why. Here's how this thing actually psychologically interior on the interior level how it works. It starts out with association. We get some association or exposure to God. And if we get sufficient, we put our trust in that God. We put our trust in Christ, for example, and choose to become his follower. That's association. That's level one. Now, if we follow and we see things we like, that raises admiration. We say, you know, God, I, I like the way you talk. I like the way you think. I like your plans and your purposes. I, I like your responses to people. I start to admire. I start to admire this one. Mind you, this is the basis. This is what real worship is uh, composed of. I start to have admiration for this God. The admiration then typically turns to affection. Now it has steam. Now it has, it has power. It has energy. It has motivation. Okay, now that my affections are stirred for this God, I so, I so like him that I, I start having affection. I have, I have love for him. I have feelings for him. And that affection changes into this, aspiration. I so like him that I just want to be like him. I, nobody's, nobody's forcing me. He's not scaring me. He's not offering me rewards. He's not threatening me with punishments. I am seeing in him someone that is so admirable, so lovely, so exciting to me that everything in me, I can't help it. I want to be like him. How many of you ever can remember back when you were a kid maybe, some new kid moving in the neighborhood or something, you met somebody in high school, and before you knew it, you were like, man, they're cool. You know, I, don't, I, I like the way they talk, and I like the way they dress, and I like the way they handle themselves, or wh whatever it might have been. Next thing you know, the more you like them, you started walking like them. <laughs> you started talking a little bit like them. You started dressing like them. C come on, be honest. How many? How many went through something like that? Yeah, nobody was forcing you. Nobody was scaring you. It was authentic. But listen to me now. You were worshiping, in a sense, and authentic worship is God's agency for the transformation of character. It is not force, it is not fear, it is faith, it is trust, but that trust then turns to admiration, admiration turns to affection, affection turns to aspiration, because I like you, I want to be like you. This is what authentic worship is all about. And this is the, the, the dynamic that causes transformation. They worshiped worthless idols and became worthless. We can also worship God as he really is and become like God as he really is. And we become who we were really always supposed to be. So the first lesson is this. We've got to let go, let go of distorted images of God. The Israelites needed to have it shaken out of them. All the, the bad notions, bad ideas about God that they had in their heads from Egypt from fragments from their Hebrew ancestry it needed to be shaken out and an accurate image of God need, needed to be imparted to them and it needed to take its, its root in their hearts in their minds so that leads to the second part of this we need to fasten onto accurate unshakable images of God we need to let go of inaccurate shakable images of God simultaneously we need to fasten onto in their case the ten commandments now God's talking to us. Now he's telling us what he likes and what he doesn't like. We know who he is a little bit better. We know how he feels. We know how he thinks. That's the transformational component that God offers to us that we have to fasten on to. So let me, let me show you how you could have handled that meeting so easily. Remember the meeting? The 20 people get together, and they're all going to say, what is God really like? They're all going to give their opinion, and you're sitting there, and you're, you were waiting to go because this is probably what your answer was going to be. You're going to give the Sunday school answer. What is the right answer to every question in Sunday school? Anybody know? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. 
What is God really like, Jesus? What is God? Jesus. <laughs> it's the truth. Look at this powerful verse, Hebrews chapter 1. It says, Throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by his prophets in many different ways. The revelation he gave them was only a fragment at a time, building one truth upon another, slow progressive revelation that God gave of himself goes on. But to us, to us, living in these last days, last days started when Christ came to earth, when the Creator took on humanity, when the Creator became incarnate, when, when the Word was made flesh, when the one who created all things stepped on to this planet. That was the beginning of the end of God's plan. Now, there's the last days and the last, last days. We are living in what I believe to be the last, last days, prior, just prior to the return of Christ. The first coming was the start of the last days, though. But to us in these last days, God now speaks to us openly in the language of a son. Jesus is the, the message. It's the language. It's the truth about God, the appointed heir of everything. For through him, God created the panorama of all things uh, and all time. The sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature. This is important when it says the exact expression of God's true nature. God, before he took on the form of humanity in Jesus, until the word became flesh, God really could not make himself known. The angels that had been in God's presence for who knows, I mean, how time works out in eternity, maybe trillions of years, who knows, they still could not know who God was and what he was really like. He had to, in essence, bear with me, this is not meant to be irreverent, he had to shrink himself down to taking on humanity for the angelic communities and civilizations, ancient as they are, and the humans for us to finally see, oh, so that's who you are. So that's what you're really like. You see, Randy, what are you talking about, man? Okay, the angels and even humans, we, we could all kind of be taken uh, taken in by God's power. We know, okay, if you created everything, you're really powerful. But just because you're powerful, that doesn't mean you're safe to be around. That doesn't mean you're trustworthy. That doesn't mean that you don't scare me to death because you're powerful and you can stop my heart. I need to know who you are. I need to know more about you. And that's where, by God reducing himself to humanity in Jesus, he displayed for all eternity the truth of God's heart, particularly when Jesus went to the cross. And here he is, the almighty creator, saying, I love you humans, even you that, are, that put me on this cross with such sacrificial love. I will not use my power to come down. I will display my trustworthiness, my love, my, my total harnessing of my almighty power by my sacrificial love so that you and all the angelic civilizations, ancient as they be, they'll always now know forevermore this is who our God really is. He is the safest person in the universe. He... <laughs> He's the kindest person in the universe. He's the most loving person. If you ever catch glimpses, if you, in fact, that's what life is supposed to be about, catching glimpses, you'll never be the same. It influences us. It transforms us. You'll see that later. I'm getting ahead of myself. The sun is the exact radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature. His mirror image, we're seeing God in Jesus. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it says, all the fullness of God was displayed in the humanity of Jesus. He holds the universe together and expands it by the mighty power of his spoken word. He accomplished for us the complete cleansing of our sins. Boy, I could spend hours talking about what that means. And then took his seat on the highest throne at the right hand of the majestic one. So what's God really like? The Israelites were starting to get a fragment. They get the Ten Commandments. That, that told them a little bit more. They get 613 commandments. That told them a little bit more. But it still wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to tear down all the barriers for them to know God as he truly, truly is. That took God coming in Jesus and going to the cross and sacrificing his life for humanity, broken humanity, but then rising from the grave to show that indeed he has all power and that he'll keep his promises ultimately. Now let me show you something. Here's the barriers that God had to overcome and could only be overcome by coming in Jesus, revealing himself in Jesus. 
Satan had deceived us. He had slandered the character of God in the Garden of Eden. He said that, you know, God says, if you eat of this tree, you'll die. Satan said, oh, no, you won't die. You'll, you'll be like God yourself, insinuating that God's a liar, insinuating that God was holding them down, that he was holding back the best life possible for them. They bought it. They were deceived. We tend to have deceived notions about God. I'm not going to ask you, but I'll bet you some of you can remember a time in your life where you thought, I don't really want to do this God thing because I got ideas of my own about the way I want to live my life and I got a hunch he's going to start restricting me and saying don't do these things and I like doing these things so we we were not in a condition mentally where we trusted God we were deceived we thought we were better leaders of our life than God he had overcome that deception and that distrust humanity distrusted God we've all had times of distrust now when we distrust God it brings discomfort to our souls Remember what happened with Adam and Eve when they broke trust with God and then God comes in the garden like he normally did to see them? It says that they ran and they hid from him. They were afraid. For the first time in their lives, Adam and Eve experienced fear, they experienced guilt, and they experienced shame. These are tremendous barriers that God had to overcome and it took his revelation of himself in Christ and on the cross to do that. The discomfort brings disorder. When I'm separated from God, I'm a scared being. Here's what I know. I know I'm alive, and I want to stay alive as long as I can. So self-preservation becomes the number one driving force in my life. Number two, I learned that some things are fun and pleasurable, and some things are not fun and unpleasurable. So self-gratification becomes the next driving force in my life. When I'm driven by self-preservation, self-gratification, I make stupid decisions in life. That brings all kinds of further disorder and disintegration of my personhood. Instead of developing to become the godlike person I'm meant to be, growing in compassion, growing in kindness, growing in capacity for unselfish love of others, I diminish, I want, I take, I become a taker. What are you going to give for me? What are you going to do for me? What pleasure are you going to bring to me? How, how can I profit from interaction with you? That disintegration finally ends in destruction itself. When I live contrary to the laws of my being that God designed, knowingly or unknowingly inevitably comes destruction think about it how many how many of you uh, how many of you know that if you only slept one hour per day for a month how many of you know it wouldn't go well for you right <laughs> why don't you have a choice can't you just do whatever you want to do can't you just you can choose your sexual identity these days so why can't you choose your sleep habits how about if you choose, I'm not going to drink water or liquid of any kind for a week? What happens? You die. Yeah, you don't dehydrate, you die. You die. You die without the sleep, too. Why? These laws are the way our Creator designed us physiologically. There are also laws spiritually, mentally, psychologically, that when we knowingly or unknowingly resist them, reject them, they bring destruction so this is the cycle that God revealing himself in Christ is meant to break it's meant to break all of that cycle now let me go on 2nd Corinthians 3 18 some of us in here have probably experienced spiritual growth to a point and then we kind of feel like we get stuck I'm just curious how many have ever felt like you just got stuck and you weren't growing anymore? you won't you weren't becoming more like Christ you kind of know all the stuff but you weren't growing. How many would acknowledge that you've been in sticking points? Can I see your hands? All right, this may be very valuable for you then. The reason we get in sticking points many times is because we confuse the means of development for the end of development. You say, man, I don't know what you're talking about, man. Okay. You got to read your Bible, right? You know, we, we, we say this stuff, church world. Got to read your Bible. Got to get in the Word. Got to let the Word get in you. Got to pray. Got to pray. You got to learn how to converse with God all through the day. You, you, you got to serve because God's the greatest servant. You got to give because God's the most generous person in the world. You, you know, you got to be in church because that's a body of Christ. You need others to encourage you. You know, you may need some solitude, some silence for two or three days just to focus and meditate on God. So we, we have these means okay of grace but what we end up doing is counting them as meritorious acts that appease or win trophy points from god look god i'm a good christian because i really study my bible and that makes me a good christian I, god i'm a good christian because i i pray and that makes me a good i'm not don't misunderstand me i'm not saying these things should not be done they must be done just like eating food and drinking water must be done okay 
but it's a means to an end. You eat, some of you are not going to like this, you eat food and you drink water to stay alive, okay? You, you know, that's what it's about. So these means, prayer, Bible, church, serving, giving, all these things, they are meant to give us these encounters with God, these glimpses of God, these times where, where, where the whisper of God gets through to our spirit, and it is these encounters with God, these experiences with God, these glimpses of God, these whispers, that is what transforms us. We confuse the means with the end. We think, okay, if I read my Bible enough, if I pray enough, if I serve enough, if I give enough, I'll just wake up one morning, Jesus-like, you know. I'll be just like him. I'll feel like he feels, and I'll think like he thinks. No, you won't. And that's why we get stuck. Listen to this verse. It, it's, it's, it's subtle, but it's powerful. And we who with unveiled faces contemplate really interesting greek word it's used there it's only used a few times in the new testament it could it could have the connotation of you're looking into a mirror but contemplate is a better translation because it means i am focusing i am meditating i am thinking about we who with open faces contemplate meditate think about study whatever helps you the lord's what what's that is that just his blazing earth-shaking power no it's his blazing earth shaking power that is always restrained by his sacrificial love you want to see the glory of God the glory of God is displayed the scripture says in Jesus on the cross there's his glory it, he is the most stunningly beautiful person in the universe there's nobody like him that's why he's called the holy one we take the slightest little bit of power and we inevitably become ugly with our use of it he is the only one in the universe that he has all power but he never misuses it he is sacrificially loving and good even to those that don't deserve it as we contemplate we think we pray god give me another glimpse give me another whisper give me give me more understanding of your ways your will i i want to know more about your plans your promises i, I want to see how it all looked when you started from eternity past we contemplate we fixate we focus we study we we meditate on the lord's glory his personality are being what's the word transformed into what whose image how do we grow as christians study the word man you gotta study that word you gotta say them prayers you gotta give you gotta serve you gotta, yes you do all those things are, are true they are means to the end but the end is increasing encounters with god increasing glimpses of his glory increasing experience of hearing his whisper you know as he's talking to us about who he is and how he feels and how he thinks and what he wants to do in our life that's the stuff that transforms us that's that's spiritual growth and what does it mean transforming him in i start to think the way he thinks i start to feel the way he feels i start to see others the way he sees them it is authentic transformation but it all goes back to something I shared with you earlier. His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. But what does it all go back to? This, the foundations of authentic worship. You see, these glimpses, these encounters, these, these whispers of God, um, they all start and finish right here. It's as we become authentic worshipers. Authentic worshipers, God, I am not afraid of you, and I don't want anything out of you. I just want you. I've seen something that I just want. I want a universe filled with people like you. We desperately need a universe filled full of people that love the way you love, that use power the way you use it. I so want you, and I want a universe like you. Association, admiration, affection, and then aspiration. That's authentic transformation. I'm not trying to please. I'm not trying to conform. I'm not trying to win points. I just have seen something so stunningly beautiful that I can't help myself. That's the key to transformation. But it all starts with an accurate image of God in our hearts and our minds. Now, we have easy access to it today. We have, we have these things called the Bible. How many of you have ever heard of that book? It's a, it's a bestseller. Bestseller. <laughs> and as Pete has pleaded with you guys over two messages, if we make ourselves better 
students of it but remember it's a means to an end we're looking at scripture through scripture to see God to get a glimpse of him and we can only stand glimpses the light would blind us we he only gives us glimpses he only whispers small things to us because we can't take too much at a time we only get small encounters until our souls get big enough to take bigger encounters but if we persevere you'll be shocked you'll be shocked because what we worship we become like God had gotten his people Israel out of Egypt now the hard work started to get Egypt out of them how many of you can remember how easy it was when you first put your trust in Christ and became his follower man it was one you're given forgiveness of all your sins you're given eternal life you're given assurance that you're a child of God for time and eternity you knew that you were fully loved and fully accepted safe secure forever but then you started wanting to grow and to be like Jesus and you found there was a lot of Egypt in you man there was, there was a whole lot of sin in you there was a whole lot of the world there was a whole lot of selfish stubbornness in you if you're at least if you're anything like me <laughs> God got them out of Egypt but the real work was about to come trying to get Egypt out of them and for that we need these these encounters with God as he really is maybe maybe you needed to have your image of God shaken today maybe you have an image of God that's that's an appeasement based image you think if I do A, B, C, D, E, F, and G God will be pleased with me but if I don't do A, B, C, D, and G he's not going to be pleased with me and I'm not saying we can't displease him but I'm saying it's not based on figuring out a formula to appease him maybe you needed that shaken today maybe maybe your whole thoughts about God have needed a shake up today and, and maybe this is the first day that you're going to start thinking about God as he really is as he's reeled himself in Christ maybe you've never actually you've been a churchgoer but you've never actually put your trust in Christ and chosen to become his follower and it might be that this is the day that heaven is just waiting man they're, they're up there with the pen waiting to write your name if you have the courage to put your trust in Christ and become his follower. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've chosen to reveal yourself fully to us. We have a whole Bible that you have preserved and passed to us. We've seen your heart in Jesus, and we pray now that we'll increasingly have these experiences of authentic worship, authentic worship, where our hearts are full of admiration and affection that causes us to aspire to be like you. Because we like you, we want to be like you. May it be so. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.